This was recorded at the 20th Chinwag Live event Search and Location-Based Services on October 7, 2008 in London. Featuring on the panel Felix Peterson of Places and Nokia, Chris Moyson from Tap2, Andrew Scott of Rumble, Peggy Ann Sulce from M Search Group, Adrian Drury of The Cloud, with consultant and Mobile Monday London coordinator Joe Rabin chairing. It was sponsored by the UKTI. The event was produced by Elizabeth Varley and Deirdre Malloy on behalf of Chinwag, part one. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, thanks to Deirdre for the invitation to chair this evening's um, session. Uh, I'm Joe Rabin, and I'm, uh, I wear a few hats, uh, aside from the one I'm wearing this evening. I'm a director of Mobile Monday London. Uh, I am a director of industry initiatives at .mobi, and uh, I do a few other things as well. So it's very interesting to be here this evening to, uh, uh, with this august panel um, to talk about mobile search and location. I think that we're all starting to think that location is coming of age, but it's good, I think, to see in what form that is happening. Is the sum greater than the parts of search and location? So uh, let's get warmed up a little bit. Uh, who uses, aside from SatNav, that is, who uses location based services right now Google Maps thank you Helen okay that's uh, that's a small number who uses mobile search at all okay much more many more shout out a few names of the mobile search services that you use <laughs> hey very good can you do the first question but without Google Maps the first question without Google Maps who uses location based services without Google Maps or SatNav. Oh, okay, that's, that's okay. Right, so mobile search. Who, who uses Google mobile search? Anybody? Yeah, who's got the little Series 60 uh, downloadable thing? Anybody? That's good. I like it. Um, but is Google the be-all and end-all of search? Well, um, probably not, but we're going to find out, aren't we? Um, I think that we all, I mean, time has moved on since people thought that uh, mobile applications were miniaturized versions of desktop applications. And uh, there's no doubt, in my mind at least, that's, that's true um, for search and particularly true for search. And we've got a lot of different takes this evening on uh, what kinds of mobile search there might be. Um, one aspect that comes to my mind is that understanding the user's context is more important in mobile um, much more important in mobile than it is on desktop. So location is part of context. Is it the most important part of context, or are there other bits that are more important now? What's the perspective going to look like in the future? So as I said, the speakers uh, cover, I hope, a wide range of opinion, and I'm looking forward to them engaging with each other and with you in a lively debate. Um, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves uh, now, going down the line, and answer the question, who are you? And uh, what's your take on search and location? So, Peggy Ann. Okay, my name is Peggy Ann Saltz. I'm, I think I'm the only one who made the trip from Germany today. Um, oh, did? Oh, oh, places. Okay, fine. Um, I'm the founder and chief analyst of msearchgroove.com, which is a site dedicated uh, to mobile search, mobile advertising, and social networking, covering the trends in that area that matter, but also highlighting the companies and thinking in that space. Shall I answer your question, then pass it on? 
Yeah, why don't you do it? Okay, when I think of mobile search and location. Um, at this point, I'm not entirely convinced that when we speak about vertical mobile search or when we talk about mobile search, there's horizontal and there's vertical. Horizontal sort of like everything, all the links on your phone that you really, I don't believe, want on your mobile phone. Vertical being local. It's um, used interchangeably. I don't believe in that, and um, I hope to uh, debate that point later on. Good evening. My name is Andrew Scott. Uh, I'm founder of a, a social discovery tool, location-based. Um, we make it easy to find people and places nearby that you like. My take on location-based search is that it has to be a lot easier, it has to be a lot quicker, and it has to be personalized. And that means you don't want to be walking out of a building and browsing through uh, pages of results to, to actually work out what you want. So context is definitely key, um, but also knowing where you are and what you like. And, and without those things, I don't think that um, certainly... Uh, with mobile usage in the street, I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take off. Um, and, and that nut still hasn't yet been cracked. Hi, um, I'm Adrian Drury. I run uh, business development for the cloud. Um, the cloud is Europe's biggest Wi-Fi hotspot operator. Um, we've effectively been a location-based um, sort of digital services business now for four years. Um, we provide um, internet access to people in very specific locations. And, and we've known a lot about what people do in specific locations for quite a while. Um, and now we are more than just a laptop business. We provide access for a wide range of mobile devices. And as of last November, we're bundled with the iPhone through O2. So we have a huge amount of iPhone traffic going through our network at the moment. Um, we are at the moment wrestling with how we build a location-based business around that. Um, and I think the really interesting challenge is how we can um, engage with agency side to actually get people to build location-based campaigns. Um, Location-based is more than just search. It's display advertising, it's media delivery, it's content delivery. Um, And to do that, we have to engage with content providers to make that happen. Hi, um, my name is Chris Moyson. I work for a a new mobile search company called Tap2, who um, my colleague mentioned there. Um, Our take on um, mobile search is a a little bit different because um, we believe that mobiles are super social devices so that everything that we do within mobile search has social at the heart of it. And I think this is really relevant to our discussion about location. So all of our algorithms are based on social parameters. So you have uh, the number one result is the number of plays, views or friends, not the, the content with the highest link strength. Sharing is really, really important to us, and we, allow, we enable sharing regardless of the device. And, um, and the other thing is we're really interested in mobile social networks because mobile social networks are driving a lot of uh, mobile web usage, and so we're working with them uh, to kind of give a more uh, higher-value business model for them, a new revenue stream. Now, our take on uh, location... Um, uh, I guess it's going to be a little bit different to everyone here. Um, we think it's uh, incredibly exciting. Um, we're big supporters of it, but we've got a kind of uh, a healthy sort of caution towards it and a little bit cautious. Now, the reason for that, um, if, I, if I may be a little bit controversial, is that um, looking at what people do on the mobile web today and, uh, uh, and what they're going to do in the, maybe in the next year, we're really focused on high-value, high high-frequency usage segments of things like entertainment and content. That's what people we're finding are looking for. And there is a very valid and a, a definite case of people for looking for mobile, uh, for local content and local services. 
but that's a tough nut, nut to crack across eight markets or roll out globally. So yes, we think it's really, really exciting and we're uh, really interested in it. But um, our mission at the moment is about uh, high-frequency users and uh, where the market is today. So um, uh, we're a big follower of it at the moment. Hey, I'm uh, Felix Peterson. I'm the uh, co-founder, one of the two founders of uh, Places.com, Places with a Z, um, a company that was started in 2006, concentrating on, um, well, more or less being a mobile social network, if you if you want to use that word. Um, and got recently, we got recently acquired by Nokia, so now I'm part of uh, Nokia. And um, right now we're in the process of building our technology um, into uh, rolling that into Nokia Maps and making that a part of Nokia Maps. So um, I guess one of the one of the things that we learned um, in places is that it's not necessarily if people talk about location-based services, it's not just about location, but I really want to call it context-based services um, because some of the information that you have on your device, which is a very intimate device, um, might be even more relevant um, in terms of social interaction than uh, a latitude, longitude. Um, and that's something that we've spent a lot of time on in places, translating that latitude, longitude into something actually meaningful, um, like a location, like this one, for example, so that you're not just 30 meters away, but that you're at a, at a pub, for example. Um, and that's, um, that's just the beginning of it. That's, that's an aspect I would certainly like to discuss here. Okay, thank you very much, and congratulations on uh, your acquisition by Nokia. Yeah, good, a good outcome. Can I also just briefly introduce Helen Keegan, my colleague from uh, Momo, who is a guest contributor here this evening, and we're oh, allegedly a guest contributor here this evening, who hope, we hope will uh, pipe up from time to time and make her inimitable contribution. So, um, Peggy, I'm, I want to get this conversation started by addressing the local thing or the you know what is beyond you know what is the reality behind searching for pizza and coffee and isn't that all a bit tired and can you please shed some light in this otherwise rather dreary and dark tunnel of pizza and coffee well, i'm certainly not a convert to the pizza and coffee i've heard it a thousand times and uh one of my favorite presentations recently was from andrew grill who's also a blogger and known in mobile advertising and local mobile search And um, he shot it down really well, saying, you know, we don't need to look for another Starbucks. We see them everywhere anyway in London. So there's no reason to go out and uh, use your mobile search to find one. Um, I'm, I think we all agree that we've come so far now in understanding what mobile is. That we've begun to think mobile. We've begun to think of it as a personal device. And we understand that without context... And that's not only just location, that's also, for example, presence. You know, do I want to be bothered at this moment? Do I want to be contacted at this moment? What am I doing at this moment? So location and presence together are what make, I believe, um, a mobile search service uh, much more saleable and certainly more valuable to the user. And um, when we do talk about these uh, pizza parlors and uh, coffee shops, I don't believe we're really thinking about the average user. Um, I come from America where... There's also a lot of research now recently showing that um, basically people in America don't travel an awful lot and they know their area and so they wouldn't search for things nearby really. Um, it's much more research in that case if it's going to be about pure location, much more research about what's on or what 
is available at the location I'm going to. So I'm sort of planning out my trip, so to speak. So um, that's my take on that initially. But uh, bottom line is that context must be a part of that service. Otherwise, we won't consider it relevant. And what we don't consider relevant, we won't find valuable. So Andrew comments on that. And how do you capture people's moods, Andrew? I don't want to be bugged now. How do you capture that? Okay, so I just wanted to comment back on, on a couple of things um, just covered. So I think the, 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 the local search thing is split into two as far as we're concerned. One is subjective search, which are things that are your taste, which things that um, you may disagree about, whether, um, pe- whether you like it or not. You have dis- um, you know, alternate tastes to your friends, and that's where recommendation comes in. The other is objective search. You know, so, for example, with Rumble, we're, we're never going to be better at finding the nearest plumber than Google probably is because, you know, you, you may not probably care, you know, or the, or the nearest garage or ATM or something else, which, you know, you're not going to have a preference for which ATM you use as long as it works, right? Um, and actually, I think that there is, um, there is use in those services. So when I was in the States a couple of weeks ago, um, I spoke to a lot of people using Wear, which is a sort of location-based application on their iPhone, and it's done quite well. But they're not using... Um, many, of the fun- many of the bits of functionality, but where happens to have a list of all the Starbucks um, in the US in its system. And so what they do, you know, I spoke to at least three people who consistently use it to find the nearest Starbucks, and that's all they use it for. So, and I believe they use it um, because, frankly, it's just quicker than using Google. So for us, it, it's all about speed. So from an objective search point of view, the person that wins is going to be the person that, as quickly as possible, gives you that information that's nearby that's relevant to you. And that's really no different to online. That's why Google did well. The, the search relevancy was slightly better, but it was also extremely fast. And those two combined, you know, that's a winning combination. I think the truth is that that's also true on mobile. Um, with the subjective results, that's more interesting because I don't actually want to know the 40 or 50 restaurants nearby. Um, I probably just want to know the three or four that I'm going to like. And that's a very different problem to solve because, as you say, you need to know perhaps the person's tastes, you need to have, know, have behavioral history, you need to know um, what they, what they, where they are, what time it is, what they're doing, you know, hopefully what their mood is. Now, we're not that far down the line, but, but what we do provide over Google is something that, that um, tracks the person's taste and then refines search with an algorithm ongoing because of that. And that means that we can very, very quickly tell people what's nearby that's relevant to them. And the services that do that are going to be more popular because simply on mobile, you know, your, your patience, Nielsen says, you know, famously, 30 seconds, I think it is, on a website to find what you want. On mobile, it's far less. Just imagine the, a practical scenario on your mobile. And that, that, that sort of scenario of, of, of finding something nearby is very different to sitting at the bus stop when you're going to be sort of reviewing social content or perhaps do a tap to search where... Um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at your friend's content and reading stuff and you're using those snippets of time uh, on your mobile device, which I think is valid as well. But, so that's our sort of take. It's split into two things, objective stuff and stuff where personalization is really key. So, Adrian, if you, uh, are, you a, are you a coffee addict? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I am a coffee addict, but, I mean, I think... I agree. I mean, I know where my nearest coffee shop is. You know, I don't necessarily need to be told where that is. And, you know, of Starbucks does a great job of advertising itself on the high street and making sure its branding is everywhere so you can actually tell where it is. Um, I mean, I think there's a very interesting thing here that maybe um, location-based search, location-based display advertising, um, sort of location-specific content you're delivering to a user maybe is the last... If you like, you know, that's the last segmentation tool you use maybe after user profiling, 
maybe after user context profiling as well. Yeah, ultimately, what you're trying to do is deliver to the customer a relevant piece of information. And if you're trying to deliver an ad, you want to make sure that you're delivering for the advertiser and add to the user in the context that they want. Um, a thing that the cloud has tried to do is that we've done a lot of uh, customer profiling. Um, and um, we've also done a lot of profiling about what users do in particular locations. Yep. So ultimately, the objective is we can get to a point when an advertiser can say, we want to go and target yep, a particular user audience yep, when they are in hotels or when they are in a pub or when they are in a coffee shop or when they are waiting for a bus on the basis that the kind of services and the kind of brands that they may be open to engaging with are different within those contexts. So you get sort of kind of three different things you're segmenting on then is user, location, and then potentially context based on what the actual user is doing online at that point. Great. Thanks for that. Chris, you've already told us your skepticism on this. Have you got something to add on, on this point? Um, well, just picking up on what Peggy and, and Andrew said about um, context and uh, subjective versus objective, um, I think that's quite interesting in, um, from a mobile perspective because what most uh, companies do in search is they kind of take the desktop model and they say it's all about intention. I'm looking for pizza. I'm looking for pizza. And what they forget about, um, or then they take their mobile and they say, okay, I've now got a mobile phone, which means I'm out of the office. I might be somewhere foreign. So I will therefore be looking for a foreign restaurant or something. But one of the things that we've observed, and I think you know, picking up what Andrew's um, said too, is that the thing about mobiles is you've got it on you all the time. And so there's a new behaviour being created, and we kind of call this recreational. It's you're bored. You've got this thing in your hand. You're waiting to go into a meeting. You're waiting to get on the bus, and you need entertainment. And so search and finding stuff and discovering stuff is no longer, I think, about the kind of the desktop model of I want a pizza restaurant or I want to find a plumber. There's this new kind of behaviour starting, and I think that's where um, uh, things like location-based services matched or mashed up with social networks and, uh, and different search intentions are really, really exciting, really interesting. So location, presence, plus need. What is it they're actually looking for? Are they looking forward to waste time or are they actually looking for something, uh, a purpose? Great, thanks. And um, perhaps, uh, Felix, you could give us your time. I happen to know that you're part of the Nokia Maps division, so I guess that location is... Uh, kind of key to you, but where does Starbucks fit into the Nokia Maps division? Well, I mean, um, I can't tell you the numbers, but uh, in the current Nokia Maps 2.0 version, there's already a, a search in it that has just, you know, plain old um, POIs um, bought from somewhere, you know, kind of the yellow pages um, um, sorted by distance from you. And I can tell you, I mean, it's, it's, it's useful, and... Um, I, I, you know, I think that is something that most people don't even know exists yet, but that with the iPhone and uh, with Maps 3.0 and 4.0 will become very commonplace, and it's quite convenient. That's not the end of the road, but it's very convenient, and I think it's going to be a mainstream application um, that when you're traveling, you want to find out where the next XYZ is or uh, what's around your hotel and these kind of things. Uh, you, you do look for things like a cash machine and, and your mobile can be very convenient. But of course, there's much more power to that and um, the whole story of being bored is really the story, I think, of search versus discovery. 
um, when you're wandering around, of course you're interested in discovering things, and there the social aspect becomes much more, much more important. Um, in that case, you're really not interested in the 30 or 40 uh, restaurants nearby, but there you want to maybe wander um, the traces of your friends, um, or you want to see where this specific friend that's really a foodie has been to uh, in London, or where most of your friends are right now at this point, or will be this evening. Um, and of course, that's that's the holy grail. I mean, that's that's the thing that we need to that we need to crack the combination of uh, social contact, contacts, uh, context, um, location, and places. Um, if we'll get that together in a meaningful way, that's going to be extremely, extremely powerful. Um, but I would disagree to say that you know looking for the nearest Starbucks is not interesting. Um, it's something that is going to be mainstream really quickly once people know that they can actually do this with their phones. And we see it with the iPhone. I mean, that's exactly the kind of usage um, that you see with Google Maps on the iPhone. Maybe as a clarification point, I'm not saying it's not useful or not interesting. I'm merely pointing out that as it becomes sort of more commonplace, the question will be, you know, what is then the value of that service? I mean, one of the, one of the core questions in mobile search is, is it, is it a service or is it simply navigation? And if it is navigation, where is the value in that? And what, are, what do our business models need to be? So I do believe there are going to be companies that do location very well. And it does have a place in that spectrum of the mobile search services. But then the question then for me is, what is then the purpose of search? And what are we going to do to um, differentiate ourselves, make our money, make our mark? Okay, thanks for that. Um, a question that is, uh, I think, as frequently asked as the pizza and coffee question, um, but is, to my mind, altogether at a different level, is the question about um, location and indeed presence and security and privacy. Um, so I wonder if we can go down the line and uh, have a little chat about what your views are on that and, indeed, what the cultural differences are. It's, often, it's equally often cited that South Africa is a place where little concern is paid to this, whereas other places a great deal of concern is paid to it. So can we come the other way down, please, Felix? Well, yeah, um, geopresence and privacy, of course, that's something that um, that comes up all the time. Um, I think there's three... I mean, I've been asked this question sometimes before, so I I think I I have it sorted to a certain degree now for for myself. I think there's three... Uh, aspects to it. One is really um, tracking versus publishing. Um, if I if I track someone, and that is really the old school idea, also from the operator side of, um, um, I give a service, the opt in, or I opt into a service that that service can track me, right? So I say, yeah, the service buddy finder um, X Y can know where I am. And that, for most people, is really a nightmare. That a certain service or an operator will track your position and pass that on to someone, maybe without you even knowing. And if you think about it, of course, it's it's not very practical. Um, even um, if 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 that if that agreement is for a specific person, uh, it might be okay for a specific person to see me in a certain. Situation. Let's say I'm at a conference. Of course, it's okay for two, three of my colleagues to see me, 
I might not want them to see me next weekend. So um, that involves a lot of mental transaction costs. And, and if you look, if you if you think these if you think these models through, of course you can make very complicated uh, um, a very complicated matrix of who can see you where under what circumstances, blah blah blah. But that's very it's very complicated. So I think um, one general difference really is: um, am I being tracked? And that's the whole story of the uh, child finder and, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Um, or am I publishing where I am right now? Um, the difference is also here, it's implicit versus explicit. Am I pressing a button and saying, yeah, my phone knows where I am, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's distributing, broadcasting that all the time. Why not check in at a place? Um, that's what we did at places. Um, also, because of noise, you know, it's not just a matter of privacy. It might not be interesting even where I am at all times, um, but you know, maybe it's three, four places a day where I'm actually am, like here, where I say, okay, I'll check in here, and that's fine if my friends or everyone, uh, for that matter, sees that I'm here. Um, the second aspect is. Um, that you can do privacy um, uh, in terms of there, there's different dimensions to privacy, and, and, and that's really something that we're trying to figure out. Yet one is time. So um, at what certain time am I being? Is it okay that people see me? Maybe after eight o'clock, it's not okay that people see me. The other is the kind of place, and there again, semantic location becomes important. If I check in at a place, I can say at this place, which is my workplace, it's fine if people see me, um, but only at a certain defined set of places. When I check in here, it's okay if people see me. In between, not, or maybe only my wife. And then, of course, it's the, uh, it's the personal relation. So my friends can see me versus everyone can see me versus only selected people can see me. And the challenge here is to bake that into a really simple privacy model to have sort of a volume control that covers most of the use cases um, without giving people too many options. Um, and that's the third thing I want to um, um, mention. Um, at places, people ask for very granular privacy controls. And if you, if, you, if you ask people what they want, they're very cautious at this topic and they say, you know, I want a very granular privacy control. If you give it to them, they're fine. Um, but if you, if you, if you uh, observe the actual behavior, most people won't use it. Uh, same same thing with Facebook, you know, how, how you have all these very complicated controls, parts of your profile, who can see what. Um, it needs to be there, um, but then people, in reality, 90% of the people won't use it. doesn't mean it need, doesn't need to be there, but it's just an observation. So, Andrew, um, from your experience, how does that look? Well, I was nodding because like, we had exactly the same experience. I mean, I ran before this. I ran a, a, sort of a very early mobile session network called Playtex, which is a sort of pilot site, a couple of 10,000 users on it. And we learned there that, that exactly that. You really, have to, you have, really have to build all this stuff, and it's really irritating because you know, once you get all these matrices of being able to be seen by some people and not by others and all this stuff, it's, you know, it's a pain in the ass, and it has to be there, but then nobody uses it. So we've got the same thing with Rumble at the moment. We, we, you know, there's a big page of settings where you can go in, and you can hide from individual people so they can still see your profile. You're not blocked, but they can't see where you are. You, know, you can set where you're going to be and when you're blocked and when you're not and all this sort of stuff. But probably, I think last time we checked, like less than 5% of people actually use any of those privacy settings. And then they actually fall into two groups. It's the people that don't want... That, you know, the same people that don't want to be seen where they are are the people that block their, pro their profile out so it's not visible by anyone else. They don't want any messages from people they don't know. So it's one extreme or the other. 
And I remember talking to um, Justin from Buddy Ping about this a few months back, and he said that I think you said that your experience was the same thing. You've, you've got to put all the, the privacy settings in there, but then, you know, majority of people, they don't care. And it's the same with Facebook. I mean, you see all this stuff online about people not getting jobs because they've got these embarrassing photos at some barbecue when they were drunk and, you know, blah. But then people still keep putting the stuff up there and they don't bother, you know, same situation. So that this, this, this subject always comes up, and I think that's right that it does, but it's a big red herring, actually. I think the, the, the GPS in the car has done a huge amount to sort of educate people about this concept of navigation and what GPS is and knowing where you are and being seen where you are and all this sort of stuff. And so now the transition to the phone with, you know, phones with GPS in, it's a really small step. And so, you know, thus far, we haven't, you know, had a problem, but when we have a big lawsuit, I'm sure that'll change. And for my, for my dad, um, also microblogging, you know, Twitter and Jaiku and the likes helped a lot because basically that is exactly the opposite of tracking. It's publishing. I'm giving little tidbits of myself away um, to have a richer social interaction and give people context about what I'm doing. And then that's interesting, people that use these kind of microblogging services. For them, it comes very natural to say, hey, why can't this be geotagged? Same with pictures. Um, hey, wouldn't it be great if my pictures were on a map? If, if people talk or think about geotagged pictures, they don't think about being tracked. It's really, it's really uh, uh, I think... A way of a matter of educating people in a matter of time to a certain extent to get, take, get this picture out of people's heads of the N90s body finder kind of thing, you know, where you track your friend beep, 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 beep on a little map, you know, like James Bond kind of thing. Okay, before we come back to you, Andrew, I know you want to come back on this. I want to interject another thought. Should people be protected um, from their carelessness, is what it sounds like you're both saying, in effect. Uh, and uh, just to follow up on that, so I'm passing it on to um, Adrian after, after you've had your comment. Who owns this information in the first place and how can we trust you with it? It was just two stats. One is, um, uh, just as you were saying, I think it's over, over between 20 and 25%, 20 and 25% of Flickr photos are geotagged. So that's a huge percentage, over 20%. Um, and I can't remember the stat for Twitter, but it's quite high, and anyone who uses Twitter will see that people quite often just Twitter to say, I'm here, and then they're there, and then they're there. So it's just, you know, you just see by the behaviour of people, you know, a vast percentage of people actually don't care. I think, I, I think that's a really interesting question about who actually owns the geodata, because there's an issue then over the privacy as well, if the, if the, um, if you like the, the end person, let's not call him a customer or consumer, but the end person has a relationship with somebody providing some content or a service or an ad to that person. Um, and yet the person actually that they feel they have a brand relationship or a service relationship with isn't actually the person who owns the geodata. Yep, there becomes a bit of a gray area. And the thing that we've seen in our space is that there are lots of people who are moving in to the bit of the value chain where they own the geodata. Yep, so quite a lot of people in this room will be familiar with guys like Skyhook. Um, and they've done a war, thing called war driving where they, they do uh, mapping by a location of Wi-Fi networks. There are a couple of alternatives to doing operator AGPS um, location-specific ad serving as well. Um, and with loads of different people in the value chain, and loads of different people trying to serve information and content on a location-specific basis. Yep. How do we protect the end user from that, data, that information not being abused? 
Um, I think you know the industry is at a very, very early stage on this one at the moment, and I think this, as ever, this will be um, an issue that ends up getting raised when um, there's a large public lawsuit about it. Um, but I think it's probably um, it's the, the industry is a little bit too immature to have got to resolution on that one yet. Um, I think it's yeah, and it's absolutely important that, that the consumer is protected. Um, I think there's a really interesting question about um, pr- uh, privacy for the user. Um, in different contexts, how much protection does the user want from somebody trying to advertise to them? How much does it, privacy does a user want in a context where there's more of a peer-to-peer um, uh, context to the application, particularly if it's a location-based thing, and it means that another person, rather than an ad-serve platform, can see exactly where they are? I think that's a pretty interesting question. And uh, Peggy, are you going to comment on uh, when or how we might answer those questions? Well, I do agree with Adrian that it is very early days, but I was also listening to what you were saying before, and I think that part of that, at least with the advertising, because although we talk about privacy, when I go to actually the conferences and the events, it's really not so much about privacy as it is I don't want to be spammed, and I don't want to get ads when I don't want them. So it's not, we're not really at the point where we're really discussing privacy. There are mm-hmm. some operators who've handled it really well, just putting up, for example, Verizon Wireless, just a no-brainer thing, um, you know, just a few options, not making it too difficult. I don't know how many people are using it, but it's interesting that the privacy concern is not nearly as high as the, um, you know, don't bother me annoyance concern. And you said something before, I think, that was key that is, you know, runs through this as a, as a thread, is... Um, in a certain context, what brands will I want to engage with and then the business models to present me with those brands that I'm willing to engage with in that context. Then I will see it as convenience and perhaps, and there is research about this which I've covered at my site and elsewhere, but perhaps then that convenience factor will outweigh the annoyance factor. So I do think there's a sort of a business model hidden down there if we can get to it and I'm sure that the cloud's been thinking about that. Can I, can I come back on that? I, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know what I mean? That we've seen this sort of in the conventional fixed ISP world. You know, there's always a consumer give-get. Yeah. You know, the, the pri- privacy and, you know, how a consumer perceives their privacy is not a fixed thing. It changes slightly in different contexts. Um, so it's a complex thing, trying to giving the consumer a choice over how much data they're going to give up in different location <laughs> contexts. But, uh, but maybe that begins to be the key of how we address that question. Great. Well, I, I, I'm just going to um, ask one more quite general question before throwing it open to um, audience questions. So I hope that your uh, interest has been excited and you've got your questions ready and sharpened. Um, Chris, uh, in your opening remarks, you said, uh, well, what you're looking for uh, the big opportunities, and I suppose that the obvious question that follows from that is, well, you know, where does the money come from in all this? Um, clearly, you don't see it as being the location thing that's going to give you the money now, whereas others on the panel think that that's a direction to head. So, where is all the money? Where is the money coming from? Where is the mobile ad inventories which we've been talking about? Um, well, I think. I think there will be money in it, but um, I used to work uh, for The Guardian years ago and kind of sort of messed around in a newspaper world, and, uh, and, and they own lots of local papers as well, their parent company does. 
And um, local advertising is a really, really tough business. It's, you know, it's run by telesales. The cost of sales is really, really difficult. And also, um, people don't like paying for digital anything. Free is the model that kind of really, really works in this space. So um, um, I'm not saying that I don't think there's money at all in um, uh, location services. I just think that it's, it's tough to have an international service um, to roll out across markets and make money because I don't really, I haven't seen any evidence. I'm a bit of a skeptic whether you can get people to charge for these things. Um, however, if you're embedded with um, Nokia um, and or a handset or possibly with a carrier, then I think there are um, uh, indirect revenue streams. Um, um, yeah. Okay, Felix. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's huge potential in this, and, and I think we'll, we'll see this sooner than later, really. Uh, if you look at how the yellow page industry moved to, or how you know, um, it's being hurt by Google AdWords badly because, because people, small business owners, retailers, realize that their money is better spent on a Google AdWords campaign if people actually look for something. Um, and as soon as we have people roaming around with their mobile phones, discovering things, um, I think a lot of that budget is going into um, into mobile or geocoded ads for local retailers, and it's certainly going to be either. I mean, in a good position is either the the big guys like Google that come up with a self service interface that could be potentially international, or uh, on on a local level, of course, the people that have the sales force to go to those retailers, um, the yellow page industry, but they've been slow in the past so uh, my bet would be on um, one of the big companies that um, that create a uh, you know the gravitation in, uh, through a self-service interface so no clues there as to what you're doing next no? no? okay Peggy um, gone to a few conferences in fact I just wrapped up to location services conferences. And um, what came out of them was very interesting that we also need to sort of rethink what we, th- what we think we know about a location service. Um, there were some very interesting case studies, and some of these I also have documented on my site upcoming. But, for example, uh, Turkcell doing wonderfully well with a service that is not about accurate location, but rather sort of approximate location. So basically, I'm not an expert in, in you know, the, the areas of Turkey, but the woman was explaining that there's a long bridge, in it, and when you're on this bridge, you're sort of between two sort of shopping spheres that you could be interested in. And so they do it so that really the ads target the users on, on the bridge just as they're about to sort of enter into this experience and, enter, and offer them you know, vouchers and other things. Um, the point is that it, it was, I thought it was eye-opening because it was about approximate location and actually now at this point making money and uh, showing the way for Turkcell to integrate more mobile advertising in their mobile data services. That's one thought I had. And another is... Um, in the research I'm doing in companies such as, for example, Nearby Now and these companies that make it, uh, make a business out of um, shopping nearby, which I think most people would agree is uh, the kind of an application people would be interested in because then it's not just you know, the restaurant nearby, it's really like there's a bargain nearby. And, re- and research shows if you can offer people some sort of exclusive information, they'll go for it. And... Um, Actually, what's coming out of that is a very interesting model that the money there will, might be in sort of inventory replenishment and research. 
So being able to say, you know, that X, Y, Z that you really want um, is not only in the shop nearby, but it is really truly in the shop nearby, and it's in this size and this color and other models. So I just want to throw that out there to try and encourage some thinking about sort of a wider range of location services that are at this moment basically ripe for the picking without any of the issues we're talking about in the future. Would you like to comment? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of services out there, especially marketing campaigns, doing all hello, doing all sorts of things um, on marketing. I mean, you know, I'm sure Helen can reel off lots of people she's worked with who spent dollars on marketing. Um, I mean, I know that, that some stats I read recently about 65 percent of of marketing spends coming out of existing budgets, so rather than a dedicated mobile budget. Um, you know, our experience is that that. I, th- I think the interesting point was about you don't need to know someone's exact location. You know, that, the ho- that horrible example of sort of walking past a Starbucks is irrelevant. And that's why other technologies like cell ID, you know, you don't need GPS, provided you know where someone roughly is. Um, I think, again, it goes back to context. If you've got someone's rough area, they're within, you know, half a mile, whatever it is, or a mile, um, you're going to be doing okay. The, the real challenge is for companies to, to get the scale um, so that some of the, um, the self-service model, which uh, Google has, works you know and makes them billions you know there's no question that there's a role for marketing whether it's billboard bluetooth whatever and these work in verticals they work you know they work very well there are lots of examples i mean we even did a campaign um at the beginning of the year um to a very targeted sort of group of three and a half thousand males in london aged between a certain age you know and it was actually sms targeted opt-in um and that was for a pharmaceutical company but you've got to remember that google didn't actually start you know launch their ad platform until 2000 you know, and they, they first started the first version in 95, you know, got angel funding in 98. So, you know, it was a long time before they sort of worked out how to do online advertising right. Um, and I think most of the rules for online advertising just apply on mobile. You know, the, the ones that are effective, that are most relevant, that are least intrusive and are clearly marked as, as advertising, they're the ones that are going to work. And so now that we're looking at our ad strategy, that's what we're going to replicate. We're going to look at work, what works online. And so the sort of random banner ads that a lot of people are using on websites now, you know, they started off with high click, high, much higher click-through rates, but that would just die off. A lot of it's to do with the fact pe- people don't even know, you know what, whether it's part of the menu, they're just clicking up and down, you know, they're, they're sort of they're, they're amateur users on their mobile. But once you get a really good sort of user experience on iPhone and people you know, are more, like most, hopefully most of the people in this audience who are sort of early adopters, you know, you're going to know when it's an ad or part of the service you're using. And so I think most of the rules online apply on mobile, plus, you know, if anything, you need to be even more careful not to spam. Um, just to sort of you know bring bring discussion back to you know the, the the inventory question and you know where maybe where the where the money is on this. I mean the thing that I've written down like three or four times here I think is is scale scale and scale. Yeah, the at the point where you know the location based industry can deliver you know enough volume of users, yep, and enough volume of available devices and you know consistent platforms, yep, and we can actually go out to you know a group of people or an industry that it is marketing and advertising and it has an interest on in doing that on a location-based basis. Yep. And they can actually build campaigns around doing stuff that is location-based. Yep. Then you suddenly, you know, you, you, you bring another element to, to, to this industry. Um, today, you know, we've, there, there are, you know, X hundred thousand iPhones out there in the UK today. Yep. In 24 months' time, you know, there will be a multiple of that. 
that's another consistent platform. Yep, and again, it, you know, it offers advertisers an ability to go and push campaigns out onto that platform. Um, there's one other, you know, big group of people as well. I don't know whether we've discussed enough this evening, um, and that is the the billboard guys. Um, you know, the Viacoms, the JC Decos, etc. Um, you know, they are the, the one enormous sort of like advertising inventory industry that is yet really to converge with digital world um, in any significant way. Um, and obviously, location-based services bring them immediately into digital world, um, and they will be and are thinking about that quite heavily. Very, I was going to comment on the billboard thing. I'm just not, not buying the whole billboard thing. It's like, you know, these billboards where you can get like a Bluetooth. Like, I've got more things to do than stop in front of a billboard, turn my Bluetooth on, wait for it to sink, handshake, hopefully it comes down. I just, you know, unless the technology's there, so you literally walk past. And even that, I'm not, again, I'm not sure I want my phone beeping when I walk past a billboard. So I'm, I know in niche the verticals music that you can probably cite stats where, yeah, they had this many downloads, but like mass market people walking around like with you know, getting stuff from billboards. I don't know. I'm yet I mean, to be if sold. It, if it's pull, it might work. You know, if yeah. you're really, really interested in something. Did you say pull or porn? Pull. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, I think if, but it's, if it's porn, it will really work. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, porn works, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's small. I, I think it's niche. Um, um, but what, what, what certainly does not scale, if you think this through, um, is that example of the billboard pushing something to you or the example of being on the bridge um, in in Istanbul, if you have a small, um, if you have small um, customer base in terms of, of advertisers, um, then it's fine, it's novel, and it's okay, and you don't mind that you get a coupon. But if you think it to the end, and if you really do have the surf, self service interface, and if every store out there advertises to anyone close by, and you get what do you get? Super spam. It doesn't work. So what what are the alternatives? There's two alternatives. One is you start you start um, profiling and, and you start asking people very specific, you know, have them have them 15 page um, uh, questionnaires uh, questionnaires f- filling out, you know, saying uh, what they're interested in and what they're not interested in, what they want and what they don't want. Hmm. Not very attractive. Um, so there again, I think it's really important that we have these socially relevant points where you check in or if, you know, for example, the, the idea that you're checked into a certain Wi-Fi network, I think that is something that is very relevant to, to advertisers because at this point we really know that you are there and that you're not just walking by um, if you actually do use a Wi-Fi network in Starbucks or at an airport. I think that's the closest model to what we have on the web right now. On the web, you know, we have um, a banner advertising that's rather annoying. What does work is advertising that is reactive to what you want, you know, AdWords. You search for something and you get ads for that. And in, in the real world, the equivalent to that in location-based services will be you interact with a location. You check in there, you spend time there, um, and there, then, then you can actually make a certain prediction that this person is, might be interested in things because he's actually shopping at the store right now. Um, so I think that's, that's really what we need to crack Otherwise, um, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. and doesn't really scale. Um, just as a thought on that, I mean, we talk about search, but personally I'm far more excited about recommendation and content discovery. And, um, and because it's, it's, it's just by far the larger opportunity, it is the harder one. 
But asking someone what they want and giving it to them doesn't really allow that cross-sell, upsell, that impulse buy that we're all sort of after. And I mean, there are technologies. Granted, they're not you know online and and ready to roll, but we have. You know, examples. I'm thinking of um, changing worlds, that can, which is a server-side solution. And it, you know, there are ways to do this. There's the company Extract that's done a wonderful job with Blick, just going through the stats and figuring out the social advertising patterns. I mean, it is possible to do this, probably a lot of heavy lifting, but I see that as by far the more exciting, uh, the more exciting application, but also the more exciting opportunity and potentially probably more lucrative. And I see Scott... <laughs> agreeing with me every month, but it's true. Okay, thank you. Chinwag Live, search and location-based services on October 7, 2008, was a Chinwag production sponsored by the UKTI. For more information, please visit www.chinwag.com. End of part one. <laughs>